We'll be picking up in verse 13. Hear God's word. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away. Go, uh, send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and what comfort it brings to us, what challenge it also brings to us, and how as we study these words here and we behold the Lord Jesus, we are beholding God himself. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us what you would have us uh, to learn from these words. And so, Lord, we ask for your spirit now to come among us to lead us into all truth and that you would speak to each one of our hearts and that our hearts would be open to what you have to say to us, to call us to repentance, to call us to faith, to call us to follow you. And so we ask this now in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We're looking this morning at the famous miracle of our Lord Jesus, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 with, you know, some loaves of bread and a couple fish, uh, an amazing thing, which is uh, really, you know, an example of Jesus ministering to people who are in need. You know, he healed, he, they came to him and they, he healed the people that they brought to him and he fed them. And, uh, and this is what we're going to be talking about this morning is precisely that, the work of ministry ministering to other people, that when we follow Jesus, uh, Jesus was that, was, that was part of what he did, he ministered to people. And I know, you know, for many of you, when you hear that word ministry, you may think that that's something that is primarily done by pastors, you know, like people like uh, Daniel and me, and uh, that we, uh, we do ministry. But, you know, there's a very interesting place in, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about why... Jesus gave to the church pastors and teachers. And this is what he says, very interesting. And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or, or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He says the, what pastors and teachers do, they're not actually the primary primarily the ones doing ministry. They're not the ones who do ministries. The people who do ministries are Christians. Anyone who belongs to Jesus does ministry. And that the pastors and teachers are there to equip all of us 
to do ministry together, to use our gifts to serve the Lord. And so that ministry is not something that's just for kind of vocational people, that that's their job. It is the very life of following Jesus. And, um, and so how does your life become one that is marked by ministering to other people? caring for other people, serving the other people, and, and loving people the way that Jesus did. And well, this morning we're going to consider four things about ministry that we learn in this passage about how that becomes the mark of our lives. Four interesting things. This is what they are. That first, ministry demands entering into crisis. Okay, so the, the first part, the mark of ministry is that you're willing to enter into crisis. But second, ministry also demands solitude, a withdrawal. You, have to, you both have to enter in and you have to withdraw. So ministry demands entering into crisis. Ministry demands solitude. Third, that ministry demands compassion. And lastly, that ministry demands the presence of Jesus, the most important of all, that Jesus must be present with us. Okay, so four things uh, that we're going to look at this morning about how do we have a life that is marked by serving others in a life of ministry. So first thing is this, ministry demands entering into crisis. Now, if you were here last week, you'll know that this story comes right after the story about uh, the death of John the Baptist, horrific passage where Herod is having this birthday party and this girl comes in and dances for him and he says he'll give her anything she wants and so she says, I want John the Head's, or John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so he is beheaded. And if you were here last week, that passage ends with, in, chapter, in, uh, in verse 12 by saying this. It's right before this passage I just read. And John's disciples came and took the body, took John's body and buried it and they went and told Jesus. So here are these disciples who, John, we learned last week, is his beloved disciple. The crowds loved him. He was loved by people. He was very highly respected. And he's been killed. These people, their leader has been killed. And so what do they do? They go and they tell Jesus. They're in the middle of a crisis. And then it says in verse 13, Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the town. So what, what happens is the crowds, in their crisis, go to be with Jesus. And so the, the whole scene here is about the disciples of John. You know, their leader's been killed, and there's this massive amount of people, all these people that love that loved John. They are aimless, they're fearful, they're sorrowful. And, uh, and, you know, this passage is actually, as the gospel goes on, things begin to heat up as, as you move towards the death of Jesus, where Jesus himself is going to be killed. And the hostility begins to turn up. That's starting to happen. And so there, all, there is all this unrest and crisis happening around this miracle that Jesus does, this caring for people. And, um, of course, our world... Uh, your lives, the lives of people in our church, the lives of the people around us, you know, at work or in our neighborhood or our f- extended family members. We have a world that is charged, is filled with crisis. There are all kinds of crises, people living in the midst of unrest. And the first thing that we need to learn about ministry is that you will never do ministry if you run away from crisis. You will never do, you will ne- your life will never be marked by ministering to other people if you run away from their crises. We must enter into them. 
And I'll tell you, you know, that's not often, if you think about, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a life of ministry, of serving people, serving the Lord. You may not picture that that's what it's going to be about, is entering into crises with people. I mean, I know for me, becoming a pastor, how did I picture, what did I picture becoming a pastor is going to be like? I'm going to give sermons, right? I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to study the Bible, I'm going to read books, I'm going to be in my office, I'll come out and do some teaching. And of course, Jesus, in his mercy, you know, never lets a pastor just stay in the, you know, he throws him into crises, and it's for our good because he wants to teach us to love people, and that's where loving people and ministering to them actually happens most profoundly is in the midst of their crises. And let me just say, you know, that's something for us to be alert to as a congregation. When you hear about other people in this church that are going through something, that are having a crisis, that needs to, you know, something, a switch needs to turn on, that I need to do something. And, you know, I, I understand that many things, it's hard to evaluate when does something become a crisis. You know, it's like, well, that, sounded, that sounds unfortunate. You know, maybe uh, it could be anything from, you know, someone has lost a loved one, They've lost a job. Uh, you know, maybe they're just having a hard time. They're struggling with depression. At what point does that become crisis? And there's, a, there's kind of a place where you're not sure. We just need to kind of embrace as a congregation. When you're in the not sure zone, what God calls us to do is to take our bodies and put our bodies in the midst of the crisis, around the person who's in crisis. We need to put our bodies there. Take your body and you put it there. And that it, just to understand that that is crucial for us as a congregation, that, that um, you know, as we think about our life together, the thing that's going to solidify our life together, the thing that matters most to people is where were people in the midst of my crisis and my hardship. That's, what it really, that's when it really counts for people. And that's not just for people in this congregation. It'll be very powerful as well for your neighbors and for people in your workplace. And when they're in crisis and everyone runs away from crisis, that's what we do. We run away from crisis. Because why? I'm not sure I'm going to know what to say. I probably can't fix a problem. Maybe we think, you know, I'm sure someone else is caring for them. Maybe we think, you know, I'm not sure if they want anyone around. Maybe they just want to be alone. Let them tell you that. But be present. Err on the side of entering into the crisis. That's the beginning of, of ministry. That, that's the mark of ministry is the willingness to do that. But, you know, one of the things I love about this passage is, um, is it gives us the kind of daunting feeling of how, how much crisis there is in the world. You know, I mean, if you just have, uh, you know, if, if we evaluated all the crises that are happening, not just in our congregation, but in our community in the Birchwood neighborhood or in, in Bellingham, and you think of all the people that are poor and that are, uh, you know, disabled, that are elderly, or let alone just depressed and lonely, and you, all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with the amount of crisis to enter into. And, you know, it's very much how the disciples are, right? There's five, there's 12 of them, is the 12 guys and Jesus, and there's 5,000, you know, men there could have been women and children there as well. If there were women and children there, you know, you're talking maybe 12,000 people who are hungry, and it's the 13 of them there, and it's like, all right, what are we going to do? It's overwhelming. And, um, you know, that's many, in many ways, our experience of the crisis around us, if we really evaluate how much crisis there is around us, it's just daunting. But look at, but look at what this text, text says. First of all, we can very much sympathize with the, the disciples, how they, what they say in verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So he says, let's, 
we can't handle this. And what Jesus says next, I think, you know, he's speaking in the, the context of this passage to his disciples, but I, am, I know, I sense that Matthew wants us to hear these words from Jesus and to receive what Jesus says next and to apply that into our own ministry. Listen to what he says. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. It should be a kind of mantra that rings in our head as Christians. You give them something to eat. Do not run away from the crisis. Even though the crises are, are daunting, they're more than we can manage, they're more than we can handle, that is not a reason to not enter into them. But um, I'll tell you, you know, as soon as you say, okay, ministry is about walking into crisis, I'm going to do it. I'm going to enter into crisis. Uh, you'll, immediately you're going to find how limited you are. Uh, and, and that there's more crisis that you can walk into than you can walk into, and that you are not invincible to handle everyone's crises. And so it's interesting that one of the things this passage teaches us kind of balances the fact that ministry, on the one hand, demands that you enter into crisis, but it also demands, ministry also demands, solitude in our lives. We cannot always be entering into crisis. We must have solitude as well. And you even see that about the Lord Jesus. Verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he'd heard about John the Baptist has been killed. There's all this unrest. Uh, people are fearful, sorrowful. They don't know what's happening. Um, it says he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Even the Son of God, in the midst, with crises all around him, he needed solitude. He needed time to be with the Lord, to be, you know, recharged, refreshed, reminded of the Lord's promises. And, you know, of course, Jesus is, part of the reason he's going into solitude is, you know, he's heard that John the Baptist has been beheaded. John the Baptist is a prophet of the Lord. Jesus is a prophet. And he's beginning to see the writing on the wall that the, the same thing's coming for him, which is going to come in the future. And so there's this, he needs to withdraw. Before he can enter into that, he needs to be with the Lord. He needs uh, to have his soul refreshed. And, you know, as many of you know, there, there are a number of places throughout the gospel where we learn this about Jesus, that he went into a place by himself to pray and to be with the Lord. And um, no one can be in a constant crisis, not even God himself as a man. No one can be in constant crisis. We need to withdraw. We need a rhythm of being with the Lord and then entering to crisis. Entering in, withdrawing. Entering in, withdrawing. And not just one of them. And, you know, of course, the reason for that, why is that? You know, if, if you go to be with someone who's in crisis, you put your body in the presence of someone who's with crisis, you're just going to be there. I'm not sure what I'm going to say. You need to bring a sense of calm and a sense of security in who the Lord is into that presence. You need to bring that in your body with you. And part of the reason for that is because, you know, for many people who are in crises, uh, they, you can't answer all the questions they have, you know, about why they're going, you know, why they lost a job, why this relationship has fallen apart. You, you can't answer this, and you can't fix them. You can't take away all their suffering. But one of the things that most people are asking in the midst of suffering is, where is God? Why is God putting me through this? And when you have been in a place of solitude where you've been with the Lord and then you go into their presence, 
whether it's the right words or just your presence, you are a symbol to them that God is alive, that God is real, and that God is good. Your body, the presence of your body is a symbol to them that God is alive, God is real, and God is good. And you only have that, though, if you yourself have been with the Lord. And you won't know that about the Lord unless you've had solitude. It is in solitude that the soul learns the key lessons that it needs to bring into crisis. It is in solitude that your soul learns the key lessons you need to know in order to bring, that you need to bring into the crisis with you. And what is that lesson? What do you learn when in solitude, when you're with the Lord? You're meditating on his word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even if I walk, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Uh, you prepare for me a, a table in the midst, in the presence of my enemies. Anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are the things you need to know. You need to know those in your body and you bring those truths of the Lord is our shepherd and fearing no evil and him being our comfort and goodness and mercy following you all the days of your life. You need to bring that in your body in, into presence. So you need the solitude and also need to enter in. But you know, it's very interesting as you, you look at this passage in Jesus' solitude that the Lord um, doesn't just let us stay in our solitude. He's always kind of challenging and intruding on our solitude. He will not let us just stay alone. He's always unsettling it, disrupting it. And one of the things about Jesus, Jesus' solitude in this passage is unsettled, right? The crowds come to him, and he doesn't get angry. He doesn't get frustrated. How does he, how does he respond? And, well, we learn a third thing about ministry is that not only ministry demands entering into crisis. Ministry demands solitude also. But the third thing is that ministry demands compassion. To do the ministry the Lord's called us to, we must have compassion. And you see this here in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from them into a boat into a desolate place by himself. So he's having solitude. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. They come after him. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He doesn't respond with, why are you bothering me? I need my solitude. He responds with compassion. And, uh, you know, this word for compassion, splagnitamai, uh, is a, a word that's used in the Gospels exclusively about Jesus. And, you know, it's a word that actually talks about your kind of insides turning over as you, you know when you kind of ache for someone you're like oh I just ache for that person and you feel it in your bones you know like that that's what it is as, that's what the compassion is it's, it's an inner turning of love towards people and that Jesus Jesus had that and that this inner burden must be the thing that drives us into ministry 
And that's an important thing, this, this burden of compassion driving us, because there are a lot of other things that can drive us into ministry and motivate us to do ministry, right? I, I imagine many of us, you know, maybe we want to be respected, and so we go into ministry and we, and we think, you know, if I'm a good person, if I'm doing the Lord's work, I'll, I'll, I'll have respect. Maybe we're trying to prove ourselves to God. You know, if I do enough good things, God will love me. Maybe we don't feel secure in God's love, that he already loves us. He loves us because of who we are in Christ, not because of our works for him, but because of his grace. And so maybe we're doing ministry because we're trying to prove ourselves to God. Or maybe you just want to feel like a good person. You can pat yourself on the back. You know, I did these good things, uh, and, and so I'm going to go into ministry. The problem with any of these reasons for going into ministry is they won't sustain you. Not only will they not sustain you, not will they give you the long-term endurance to actually care for people that you need, but it, you actually won't love people, right? If you don't have compassion for them, you're not actually loving people, even if you're doing ministry for them. You know, I've, I've maybe shared this story with you. My, my best friend from high school, great guy, uh, he's a Mormon guy that, uh, in, you know, in high school we spent lots of time, you know, talking about Mormonism and Christianity, and we'd debate about theology and stuff, and it was always kind of ended in an unpleasant conversation, you know? And so we just ended up not talking about the Bible or the Book of Mormon anymore. And it was actually a number of years after college, somehow we got into a conversation about the gospel and about how grace, God's grace is the only thing that can change your heart to actually give you compassion towards people. When you've experienced God's love for you freely, that actually softens you to have compassion towards other people. And in a, you know, a very candid moment, he's, uh, you know, I really respect him for this. He was talking about how, you know, I actually see that every week I go to a nursing home to care for these elderly folks. And I see that I don't love them. I'm not doing it because I love them. And I'm just doing it because I'm supposed to. And I don't know, it was kind of shocking to him that there wasn't love that was actually motivating him. It, it was for himself. He was actually doing it for himself. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't for the good of these other people. And ministry, though, that serves the Lord is driven and motivated by compassion for, towards others. Now, let me just say, I imagine some of you might say, okay, I can see some of those motivations in me of why I serve other people or why I do ministry as I want to be respected or I'm trying to prove myself to God or I want to be a good person. What do I do with that? Wow, that's in my motivations. That's way down, buried in me. It just comes out of me. That's, that's just why I do things. What should I do about that? Well, the answer to anything that comes up like that is you simply tell it to the Lord. Just tell the Lord, I'm, I don't trust in your love. I'm trying to you know, gain people's respect and just confess, and he will wash you of those things. And so we just confess it to him. But let me just say this. This aspect of ministry, this kind of inner turning over, and you know, where your insides are turning over with compassion towards people, is actually an important piece in a sense of calling to ministry. It's because when God calls us to minister to someone, to, to give ourselves, to sacrifice for someone else, whether that's in, you know, being in a full ministry that you're taking on, or in, you know, in a relationship that you're pursuing, whatever it is, that calling comes also inwardly by the Holy Spirit who gives you a sense of compassion and uh, a responsiveness. And um, this comes by having your eyes open to the needs around you and praying, Lord, put in my heart compassion for where you're calling me. 
Because you can't do everything. You can't serve every crisis. You can't do everything. And so that needs to be a prayerful thing for the Holy Spirit to give us a sense of a burden. Okay? So now what we see so far in this passage is that ministry, first of all, is primarily about entering into crises. That you can, and you can only do that well if you've ha- come from a place of solitude, of knowing that the Lord is your shepherd and caring for you. And when he does that, it produces a, a compassion in you. And that our ministry must be driven by compassion, not by serving ourselves, but by a real inner turning for other people, a love for the Lord and for other people. But one of the things you'll notice about all those things is, you know, I haven't mentioned anything about your gifts. You know, what am I good at? What can I offer to people? And I think that's one of the main things about this passage is that, you know, there's very little about the disciples' gifts. All they have is five loaves of bread and two fish. They don't have a lot of gifts. They don't have a lot of resources. And it's really, you know, about their inner life and their motivations. But the most important thing that we learn about ministry in this passage is that ministry demands the presence of Jesus. True ministry does not happen unless Jesus is present there. And, you know, one of the things I'll often talk about as we're studying the Bible together, that uh, we need to ask in a passage like this, who am I in this passage? Where am I? Am I Jesus in this passage? You know, which is kind of what we've been saying so far, right? Jesus entered into conflict. All these people, there's all this run us. He entered in for it. He didn't run away from it. Jesus and so you should enter into conflict. And, you know, Jesus uh, uh, had solitude. You know, he knew the Lord, and that's where he, So you should have solitude in your life. And Jesus had compassion on the crowds. He saw them, and he had some compassion. So you should have compassion. But is that really who I am in this passage? Is that where I should find myself? Am I Jesus? No. I can't feed the 5,000. I can't multiply the bread. Jesus is the only one who can do that. So who am I, then, in this passage if I'm not Jesus? Well, first of all, Oh, I almost lost my Bible there. Um, first of all, we're the disciples, right? That's who we are. We're the ones saying in verse 17, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. We're the ones who are saying to Jesus, Jesus, we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the resources. I've got kind of, you know, I don't have all the wisdom. I don't have all the words. I don't have all the energy to enter into crisis and to serve people and to care for them. Jesus, I have five loaves and two fish. I present them to you. My weak resources, and I need you to multiply them by your power. That's the experience of the Christian life is our weak resources, we offer them to Jesus, and he multiplies them by his power and actually does substantial ministry. And that's why Jesus, what does Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And, you know, this is something I've actually been thinking about recently as, you know, I, you know, the Lord calls me to put my body into a crisis. And, I, you know, I've been often praying to the Lord when I'm thinking, I don't have the words, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the answers for these people, but I know I'm supposed to be there. Asking the Lord, Jesus, will you walk into that room in conversation with me? Would you be present in the room? And it sounds cheesy in some ways. You know, Jesus walking in, but you know, that's actually what he says, is, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And it's amazing to me that he does that, that by his spirit, he's actually present in the room. And you know, you just imagine you're ministering to someone in their crisis, and you don't know all the words, you don't have all the answers, but imagine if Jesus is there. 
Is something going to happen? Is something meaningful? Are they going to be cared for? Are they going to be comforted? Yes, Jesus will comfort them. And the fact is, he has promised to be with you. And so the whole part of this passage is that we're not the ones feeding the 5,000. Jesus is. We're the disciples who are passing out the bread. We get to partner along and be alongside with him as he cares for people, as he cares for our church, as he cares for our neighbors in our ministry. Okay? So first of all, who are we in this passage? Well, we're the disciples. But second, we also need to understand that we're the crowds, right? That's who we are. We are the ones that Jesus looks upon with compassion. You know, it said that, that Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them, his heart stirred for them. We need to know that's us. You need to know that Jesus looks at you and he has compassion on you. His heart stirs for you. You're the one that's receiving. And even just listen to these verses. Look at, look at uh, verse 19. What does this remind you of? Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. Sounds like what we do every week. We break the bread and we come forward and God's people serve you and pass out the bread and he serves all of us and we find we are the crowds who are aimless and lost and sorrowful and fearful and he has compassion on us and he bids us to come to him and he feeds us and he multiplies resources to care for us. And it's only that when we know that we're the crowds that then we can become the disciples who are alongside, working along. And it's only when we've become the crowds that he, his compassion has been shown to us that his compassion lives inside of us and we want to show compassion to other people. So this, this is what ministry is, is entering into crisis with Christ with you. Having solitude with Jesus so you, that you know that he is your shepherd, that you know that he is a comfort, that goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. Uh, having a compassion that is stirred up because Jesus' presence is with you and that he shows compassion on you. And it's with those things that we, be, as a church, will do the ministry that God has called us to. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and how rich, truthful it is, but hopeful as well. How deeply you challenge us in these words to enter into crises that we don't know the words, we don't know how to fix things, and to be present, you challenge us. And yet, Lord, you also acknowledge our weakness, that our resources are few, that we just have five loaves and two fish, that we are the, the hungry and lost crowds in a desolate place, needing you to show compassion to us. You acknowledge all these things, and yet you still send us out. So, Lord, instruct us as a church. May this be a place of compassion and ministry. I pray for those who are, who are here and, and many things that maybe even come to mind as they hear uh, the words of, of, uh, of Matthew and of this sermon, um, that you would give us courage to trust in you and to serve those around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.